If we haven't met, I'm Doug Moss. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at St. John, uh, soon to be Pathfinder. Uh, and I don't know about you or where your story has brought you, but this is the moment, this, this night, this service, where it finally starts to feel like Thanksgiving for me. How about for you guys? Is this, this where it starts? Maybe you've been traveling? Yeah. You've been traveling, you've been doing hard stuff, uh, you know, it's been stressful, it's been tense. Uh, an hour before the service started, I was just raking leaves, uh, which is not the most, uh, you know, peaceful Thanksgiving-y uh, feeling in the world. Um, but this is where it starts for me. I hope it's where it starts for you. And, and I think Thanksgiving is such an important time of the year because it's a time where we, we get an opportunity explicitly to take stock of our lives. It's called Thanksgiving. And so when you get together, what's the question you ask, which is, what are you thankful for this year? And, and whether we realize it or not, Thanksgiving is a yearly opportunity to retell our own stories. Because when you take stock on the last 12 months, when you talk about and think about the things that you're thankful for, you're crafting and you're weaving a story about your life. And some of those stories are, are good, some of them are bad, some of them are the, the ones that you talk about every year, and some of those stories are the ones that you tell by not talking about them every year. Uh, but everyone knows what you're not talking about and as we think about stories, uh, the thing I've been thinking about myself and I wanted to share with you tonight is I think there's a, a part of storytelling that is invisible and that we take for granted, which is that every story has a frame. And it seems obvious, just like every picture, every artwork has a frame, but, but we often don't notice our frames and how much impact they make on the kinds of stories we tell. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about the frame of our stories uh, and maybe just get you to think and look at things in a light that maybe you haven't looked at them before. And, and so just to give us a few examples to start off, uh, I want uh, to just share a few examples of ways that the frame matters for how we tell the story. First example is the TV show Friends. All right. Friends was the phenom of the 90s, right? the phenomenon of the 90s. Everyone watched Friends. No big deal. And then uh, about uh, four or five year, four years ago, Netflix paid an astounding amount of money, uh, just some ridiculous, uh, you know, eight or nine digit number uh, to be able to show the digital reruns of Friends. Uh, and many people have been watching them ever since. But what they noticed is that the frame of Friends has changed. You see, when they filmed Friends back in the 90s, they filmed it on widescreen film, but we didn't have widescreen, flat screen TVs in the 90s. We had standard box-shaped TVs in the 90s. And so when they filmed Friends, they knew that it was going to get framed differently. The, the sides were going to get cut off before anyone would see them. Uh, but when they bought the rights to show them digitally, they figured, well, we've got all that extra footage from the film. We might as well just include it. Like, we've got widescreen TVs now. Let's show Friends in widescreen. Here's the problem. The director didn't frame it for widescreen, which means when you add those extra couple of inches on the sides, you start to see things that weren't in the story the first time around. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So here's a scene. Uh, so this is uh, where Rachel's coming over uh, to visit Joey. I want you to notice, you know, this is the scene. This is widescreen. Uh, you know, Joey's wearing this red and blue, uh, you know, baseball tee, all right? And then, and then it cuts to a close-up of Joey. And this is what you would have seen in the 90s when it cuts to the close-up of Joey uh, with Rachel presumably over his right shoulder, but you can't see her because she's not in the shot. But when they released it for widescreen, now you can see the thing that wasn't there before, which is that 
that's not Jennifer Aniston anymore. They have to pay Jennifer Aniston a million dollars an episode, so when she's just going to get cropped out, they have the minimum wage stand-in, come stand by Joey. Uh, And so now in the widescreen, you can see that uh, there was something that was outside of the frame that you weren't supposed to see before. And that actually happened frequently. Just one more quick example. This is a conversation that uh, Phoebe's having with Monica, Monica played by Courtney Cox, Uh, and so it shows the scene, and then it cuts to a close-up of Phoebe, and again, this is what you would have seen in the 90s, but now on Netflix, what you see is that's no longer Courtney Cox. Uh, they, had her, they had her much cheaper minimum wage stand-in uh, come in. See, when you change the frame of the story, it, it changes what things you include, what details you think are important, or even what details weren't in originally, and now they're in. Now, that's just uh, some silly, lighthearted goofs, but it can really change uh, the impact and meaning of a story if you change the frame. I'll give you another example. This is from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and I could do a whole message on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. This is an amazing movie if you have not seen it, a classic Western. Uh, And so just to give you kind of an overview, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly are the three main characters of the film, and thematically, this is so rich, because the good character, played by Clint Eastwood, is a a very Christ-like figure. He's constantly saving people's lives, uh, sacrificing himself for others. He's kind of morally ambiguous because he's Clint Eastwood, but, but he's the good guy, right? The bad guy is clearly intended to be the devil. He's, he's evil through and through. Uh, he, he, he murders people w- without any qualms or, or any, any compunctions at all. He's the bad guy. The ugly uh, guy is, is a guy named Tuco, and guess who he represents in the thematicness uh, of the movie? He's human beings. <laughs> we're the ugly. Uh, so God is the good, the devil's the bad, and human beings are the ugly ones that just don't know what we're doing. And the whole movie long, Tuco, the ugly, is, is waffling between which guy he's going to choose. Uh, he, he partners up with the good, uh, you know, partners up with, with, um, with Clint Eastwood, betrays him. Then he partners up with the bad guy for a while, betrays him. And, and the movie climaxes in this final showdown where the three of them uh, are meeting in this graveyard where, where there's a buried treasure. And none of the three of them know who's going to try to shoot whom. All right, you've got, you've got the good guy, Clint Eastwood, kind of representing Jesus. You've got the bad guy representing the devil, Lee Van Cleef. And then you've got this, this wild card, Tuco, and, and we don't know who he's going to shoot. Now, the beauty of the scene is that Clint Eastwood has taken all the bullets out of his revolver the night before, and he doesn't know it. So it doesn't matter who he shoots, which again is thematically so powerful because in our own battle between God and the devil, we are powerless in it. Tuco is is in a gunfight without bullets and we're in a supernatural battle without any power of our own except that which Christ does for us. Beautiful, awesome movie. But here's the thing. When it came to this final showdown, you don't know who the, the bad guy, the, the evil devil stand in, who he's going to try to shoot first. Is he going to try and shoot uh, the ugly guy, the, you know, the human beings? Is he going to go for the God figure first? You don't know who the God figure is going to go for. You, know, you assume he's going to shoot at the devil, but, but he doesn't know what the ugly guy is going to do. Right, you, you've got this real tension, uh, and it's a two-minute scene, and it's, it's a classic. You know, it just shows you know, their eyes, and they're looking at each other, and they, their hands at the and, and two minutes of who's going to shoot who. And, and you know that Tuco's gun is empty, and it doesn't really matter who he shoots. And so here's the thing. If you were not lucky enough to see The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly in theaters in 1966, you only had access to a standard framed version of the story. 
So when it came to that moment where Clint Eastwood shoots the devil, this is what it looks like on a TV, is you saw this. That you, there's Clint Eastwood over there. There's the, the puff of smoke. There's him shooting the devil right there in the middle of the scene, the bad guy. And you don't know what the ugly, what, what, what the stand-in for humankind, you don't know what he chose. Did he betray Clint Eastwood again as he'd done over and over again through the movie? Or did he decide to align himself with good? And you see, it didn't matter as far as how the gunfight turned out because he didn't have any bullets anyway. But it sure matters for our own story, knowing what did he choose. If he's our stand-in, we want to know which way he opted in this fight. And for 50 years, you had no way of knowing because our TVs were framed wrong. But now... We've got widescreen, and now we can see this movie, and look what you can see. Look who he's aiming at. He's shooting at the devil, and this movie now suddenly has far more power than it ever had because it's framed right, and we see that in the moment where it mattered, Tuco chose to shoot the devil. That's who he aligned himself with, and that's the hope that we have for us. See, the frame can change and add so much to a story when you suddenly frame it right. But framing is not just a physical thing. It's not just about aspect ratios and what got cropped out and what didn't. A frame can completely change the interpretation of the same events. And to give you an example, there's a really fun website called Bad Movie Descriptions. And people actually try to do the worst yet accurate movie description. And so I'm going to give you a little quiz for Thanksgiving Eve. This is a very famous movie. Uh, I guarantee almost all of you have seen it. But let's see if you can tell me what movie this is based on this summary. So here's the summary. Let's read it. Okay, this movie is the story of an orphaned boy who becomes radicalized after a military strike kills his family. He's indoctrinated into an ancient religion, joins a band of rebel insurgents, and carries out a terrorist attack that kills 300,000 people. All right, don't, don't go there yet, Ethan. So just take a second, just in your head, see if you can figure out what movie this is describing. All right, we got, we got some thoughts, okay? All right, Ethan, what movie is this? It's Star Wars! <laughs> Right? Like, how, how weird is that to, to frame the movie of Star Wars uh, like, like we would a modern-day Taliban story? And yet, here's what's so important to note about this. There is nothing factually wrong about that framing of the Star Wars story. There's nothing wrong with it. it, it it's true. It's correct. And yet, everything's wrong with it. Because what that, what that framing implies, or what it forgets, is that Darth Vader's the bad guy. The Empire did do something wrong. And, and if we're going to pick sides, we're going to pick the side of Luke. He's the hero of the story. See, the framing doesn't just change whether we miss a detail or, or whether there's an embarrassing uh, thing that we got left out. The framing can actually change who's the good guy, who's the bad guy in a story. You see, we have an unconscious frame when we watch Star Wars. We, we watch it and we know that Luke is the good guy. But if you didn't, if you had a different frame for the story, you could, you could say that he was the bad guy. He was the rebel. He was the one that was destroying the peace uh, of a peaceful empire. The frame matters for the story. And yet we pay very little attention to our frames. We think that the details of the story are all that matters, not the way we frame it. And this is not a modern problem. 
isn't something that just came along with the advent of standard definition versus widescreen aspect ratios. Uh, this is something that's been around since the dawn of humanity. And to give you an example of that, we're going we're gonna to go to this, the Bible here, and we're going to look at a part of the story where God's people, the Israelites, are wandering around in the desert. And they are kind of grumpy about it. And they complain to God, and this is their complaint. So let's, let's read this. All right, you can read it on the screen. Uh, now, the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. As a kid, this story always bugged me. Because who is longing for leeks and cucumbers? Seriously. Right, but, but think about it, because, because this, is, this is kind of their Thanksgiving moment, right? They, they're, they're coming together for this feast, just like we are today, and they're having an opportunity to decide what story they want to tell about it. And the story that they tell is, we had it way better in Egypt. Egypt was the best Leeks and cucumbers uh, and, and fish at no cost. And here's the thing. Those of you that know the story, are any of those details factually inaccurate? No, it, it's, it's true. They, I'm, I'm sure the food in Egypt was really good. Uh, and yes, it was definitely at no cost. Does anyone know why the food was at no cost? Because they were slaves. That's, that's what you don't charge your slaves. Like you just, you just feed them. Uh, and, and yet that's the detail they chose to focus on. That's the frame that they put around it was that, oh, there was all this great food and it was free. And they leave out some very important details. And so God comes against his people and, and he decides to do a different frame himself. So this is God's response through the prophet Micah. This is what God says to his people Israel, Israel as they continually complain and reframe the story. God, God, God frames it this way. He says, listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. There's a lot to unpack here. You know, first is that God is kind of playing their game. He's saying, you want to accuse me? You want to complain about me? All right, fine. He, he's God. He could just flick them off the earth and wipe them out into non-existence. But he said, you want to play this game? Fine. Let's have a court case. Let's have a trial. And I'll even put myself on the defense stand. And I'll say, what awful thing have I done to my people? You're complaining about me. You're upset with me. Your story is not going the way you want it to go. Fine. Lay it all out there. Let's see how I have burdened you. Side note, whenever anyone gives me grief for being a little too sarcastic, because I often am, I say God started it. He's very sarcastic in this passage. 
See, because here's how he continues on. After he frames this court case, he says, all right, you, you want to you wanna really argue about this? Here's what I did. How have I burdened you? How have I, have I harmed you? Oh, I brought you up out of Egypt and I redeemed you from the land of slavery. That's right. I set you free. I gave you leaders. I sent Moses to lead you. Also Aaron and Miriam, three wise leaders who led the people well for, for decades. God says this, my people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. If you don't know that story, it was an enemy king who wanted to curse the Israelites and God sent an angel so that Balaam couldn't do it. He could only speak words of blessing. God protected them from curses and replaced them with blessings. God says, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Those two places, that's where the Israelites camped in the wilderness to where they then went into the promised land to Jericho and when they got to have all the rewards that God promised them. God's saying, remember where you were and where I brought you? Remind me again what wrong thing I did to you? Oh. See, their facts weren't wrong. There's no arguing or disagreeing about what what the reality of the situation were. The frame was completely off. Their frame said, it's hard right now, it's manna, we don't like it, there was better food in Egypt. And they decided that was the most important detail, so they they framed that front and center and said, wasn't the food better there? And God had to remind them, he had to make the frame bigger and say, do you remember what else was happening? That Egypt was making you work your bones off. That they were making you build bricks without without straw. Do you remember how awful it was? They were murdering your babies. And I redeemed you from that. See, if we ignore the frame, we can have the facts right and the story completely wrong. And that happens for us today. One of the things I take great pride and joy in is that I believe we do a really good job telling God's story here at St. John. I think that we, that we tell it in powerful and meaningful ways, and, and we don't often talk about the reasons why that is, uh, but I'll give you one of the reasons right here today. It's because I think we have a really good frame for the story that we tell. And again, we don't, you don't usually talk about the frame, just like a, a director doesn't usually talk about why he chose a wide-angle shot or what he chose to include. You know, a director just frames it and then lets the story speak for itself. And, and Dion Garrett and I, when we're preaching, we don't really talk about the frame. We just kind of present the story and, and let it speak for itself. But we do actually have a frame that is how I keep myself honest and make sure that I'm telling the right story with the right set of facts. Uh, and our frame, just to share with you, it's nothing we talk about. Our frame has actually got a name. It's called the Lutheran Confessions. Uh, and many of you might not have ever heard of those, and, and that's okay. Uh, but, but they are the thing that gives me the frame so that I can make sure that when I'm up here, I'm not just telling my opinion or I'm not taking facts from the Bible out of perspective or distorting them. But the Lutheran Confessions are the frame that help us tell the right story, the right details, the right way. And you should read them. Uh, a lot of people don't read them because they're like 500 years old uh, and they're definitely a product of their time and place and language. Uh, so they're, they're kind of a tough slog to get through. But the frame is so important because the, the frame of the Lutheran Confessions is what lets me stand up here and tell you that the most important 
detail that's ever happened in all of human history, the, the most important thing in any story ever, is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was tortured to death on a cross and then rose again three days later for our sakes. And that whatever your story might be right now in Thanksgiving 2018, that climactic moment of God's story is what gives your story meaning and value and worth. Because of that moment, my frame tells me that everything that's happened ever before and since, that the underlying principle of the universe is grace, not power, not holiness and righteousness, grace. And that frame of Lutheran Confessions lets me tell you that you have access to that grace through communion and baptism because God didn't want anyone to be without his love and favor. And because we have access to that grace, even our sufferings can't derail our story and make it a failure. In fact, the very same God who used his own suffering to bring the world to life can use your suffering to bring you back to life as well because it's what he did first. That frame is what helps me remember that we all are dual citizens, that, that, we, that we are simultaneously citizens of a heavenly kingdom where God's rules uh, and his grace prevails, but we're also citizens of an earthly kingdom where, where there's a different way of functioning, which is why we can have Uncle Jerry at our Thanksgiving table with his offensive political opinions and we can love him anyway because we're citizens in both kingdoms at the same time. It's why we, we can get through a life that doesn't always go the way we want it. And, and where other Christians who are looking at the Bible, they'll come away from it saying, oh, you know, the, the better you are, the better you believe, the, the better things happen to you. And we can say, you know, it, it's not as simple as that, that, that sometimes bad things happen just because that's how God was going to grow you in this season. And it's not a reflection of your faith. You see, there, there's a, a misconception that I think is insidious and it's important uh, in our culture today, in our Christian culture, which is this idea that people think they can just believe the Bible in a vacuum. I see the bumper sticker. It says, you know, the Bible said it, God did it, that's good enough for me. Uh, and yet, I know it's not good enough for me, and I, I don't really believe it's good enough for anybody, because uh, if, if the Bible itself without a frame were enough, uh, we wouldn't have the problems that we've had, like crusades, where faithful Christians who are reading the Bible decided to murder a lot of people. Or we wouldn't have had the problem 150 years ago where, where, where people were looking at the Bible and saying, I guess slavery is okay because they're looking at the Bible and saying it was fine. Or, or even right now, today, how many of you are wearing cotton poly blend clothing? I know a bunch of you are. And the Bible says you shouldn't. And so if we, if we try to pretend that, oh, I, all I do is just believe the Bible, whatever the Bible says, that's what I believe. I, I say that that's not true, it's not accurate. It's what the Israelites were doing, and they got the story wrong. You see, we need a right frame to make sure we get the story right. For us, for what I preach here, that frames the Lutheran confessions. But for you, I hope that some of those highlights that I shared with you help you reframe your story that you're about to share tomorrow over a feast. You see, maybe you're not in a season of leeks and cucumbers right now. Maybe Thanksgiving is a little bittersweet. Or there are people who should be at the table and aren't. Maybe you just got here by the skin of your teeth. Or you're being confronted with people that, that much of the year maybe you don't have to see and you don't have to face the baggage between you, but now you do and, and it feels overwhelming and it feels like something you have to just grit your teeth and get through. 
But here's the thing, that the same God that, that didn't let you face death alone, but that made sure that the most important part of the frame was his death and conquering of death for your life, he's got amazing things to do with your story. And because of the story that he wove, and because of the frame that we have to tell it, even the things that feel dark or hard or overwhelming don't have to be that way in our story. We can actually reframe them through the lens of what Christ has accomplished for us. And maybe the Aunt Irene, who's obnoxious every year and goes off into weird stories, maybe we can see her as someone who's suffering because she doesn't know exactly how much Christ has done for her because he loves her that much. And we have an opportunity to change her story. Or maybe that unexpected hospital visit that was not a part of your Thanksgiving plans because someone didn't cook the turkey long enough. Maybe that there's something there that God had for you to do. Because the most important thing is that God wants his grace to bring everybody to him. For me, it's, it's knowing that I struggle to see my obstacles and, and the things in my life that I didn't plan. Uh, I, I hate them. Uh, I feel like I've got, I, I'm just trying to get to the next week of my life and, and things are constantly cropping up that derail it. And I have to try to reframe and remember that God doesn't put suffering and obstacles in my path for no reason, that he uses them to redeem us, to grow us, to make us stronger, more loving more kind. And in this season, as we're telling stories around the table, as we're talking about what we're thankful for, it's easy to, to try to focus on the blessings and try to ignore or hide the hard things. But maybe those hard things are what God needed to be in your story right now. And maybe if you could just reframe them, you would see grace and redemption and new patterns of joy and love and fellowship and community that you'd never seen before. I can't speak to your story. It's, it's something you have to tell and something you have to decide which details matter. But what I can offer to you is a frame that says this. Whatever your story is, God's built a beautiful ending for it. And nothing in this life can derail it. In fact, many of the hardest things in our life become like nothing compared to the good ending that God has in mind for you. So if that helps you enjoy just a little bit more conversation, eat your food a little more peacefully, or go through this Thanksgiving week a little more joyfully, I pray that that frame helps you change your story.